Well, good morning. I'm Kent, one of the pastors here, and it's always encouraging when you walk up and three people walk right by you going the other way when you're coming up to preach, but I'm sure they had a reason. So, uh, it's great to see each one of you. I want to thank Brady and the old church staff for their flexibility this week. If you're new to Salem, this is not what we do. We don't have a huge stage and then try to condense our worship team into the smallest place possible. Uh, this is just part of our set for the dinner theater coming up this next weekend, and uh, we sure hope you're planning on coming. Uh, it's going to be a great time Friday and Saturday. Uh, get your reservations in. Again, Angela will be in the back also. You can do it online as well, salemefc.org, and you can register for that. It would be awesome. Also, we want to let you know that next Sunday will be very different here. <laughs> there goes another one. All right. Good. Oh, good. He's coming back. Thank you. Good to see you. Uh, so anyway, uh, next Sunday will be a, a different uh, situation here because we're going to leave the tables set up. We redo the whole sanctuary. So right after church, all these pews go to the gym, and we hang huge chandeliers in here, and we set up round tables. Those will be left in place next Sunday, which is really cool because it's Communion Sunday. So we'll be able to share the meal around together of communion, and it's going to be a special time. But don't be shocked when you come back next week. Invite, invite a friend. Fill a table. Let's do that. Fill a table. There'll be eight people at a table, so find a couple friends, and they'll be awesome. So this week we're on, we continue the For the City series in Jeremiah, we're on chapter 13, and as Pastor Seth has said previously, uh, Jeremiah is not written in chronological order. It's not written. In fact, uh, in order to get a little picture of where Jeremiah is as we hit chapter 13, here's a list of what has happened and been recorded prior to chapter 13. And while we don't need to necessarily follow the exact listing of what happened when and where today, uh, the main point I wanted to point out was that he started his prophesying to Judah in 627 BC. Chapter 13 takes place in 602. So Jeremiah has been prophesying to the people of Judah for 25 years, and the people were still not responding to Jeremiah's message. That ought to be encouraging to many of you parents. Eventually, eventually your kids will respond and understand. But 25 years, I mean, it's unbelievable, right? I mean, seriously, how callous does one's heart have to be in order to not get the message of the Lord? Well, in the 1930s, the movie industry discovered that a certain amount of advertising and promotion was required to compel someone to see one of their movies. This advertising strategy became known as the marketing rule of seven. Simply put, experts at the time of the rule's inception, and many continue today, would say that they believe it takes an average of seven exposures to your marketing message before a prospect would make a purchase. They found the rule of seven applied more so to high-value items because there was a greater risk involved. So it took a little bit more convincing that, yes, we're going to go buy whatever that is. Low-value purchases required less exposure because there was less risk. Well, I would offer you today that the message of the Lord in Jeremiah, which is listen, repent, worship the Lord alone, is a high-value item. It costs our life. If the marketing rule of seven applies today, it's time for you and me to take notice. This is the seventh week of the series. Same message. Listen to the Lord. Humble yourselves. Stop worshiping idols Worship God and God alone. The book of Jeremiah reminds us of a lot of things. It reminds us that God has the authority to call his people to account for their abandoning him. 
God has the authority to dole out punishment for those who reject his authority. God's authority even allows for people to reject that authority. But the people who reject his authority meet with a bitter end, while those who submit to God's authority live and are blessed. In Jeremiah's day, the nations of the world had long ago thrown off God's authority. But God is still ultimately in control, and he would punish those nations that rebelled against his authority. At the end of the book, we'll see a king who actually submitted to God's authority, and we see several instances throughout the book in which someone actually gets it right and submits to God's authority, and the result is life. Later, John would put it this way, Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. So in other words, it's pretty simple, the message of Jeremiah. Don't listen to the Lord and risk punishment. Listen to the Lord and experience life abundant. Simple message, but sometimes it's hard for us to get and apply. So here's the message again for the seventh time. Listen to the words of the Lord. Jeremiah 13, at this point, 25 years into his ministry, with time off and on, with were prophesying, the people were still not responding to Jeremiah's message. So God had Jeremiah perform a little symbolic act to get their attention. We all kind of need some practical lessons sometimes. And in a similar manner, I want to provide a symbolic reminder to you of what's involved in Jeremiah 13. Because otherwise, it just kind of, we sit, we go through church, and we go home, we go, what was the, what was the talk about again? I don't really remember. But the, this will hopefully help get some of those things reminded of Jeremiah 13. And here's the reminder I want to give you, and that is the B-dubs cap. There it is, Buffalo Wild Wings cap. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, here's the outline of chapter 13. It talks about a belt, the B. It talks about wineskins. Imagine this, this is an acrostic. Wineskins. And then it talks about the cap or captivity, the threat of captivity. So the B-dubs cap should be the reminder of what's involved in 13. So if you ever drive by B-dubs after today or you eat there after today, whatever, hopefully you'll be reminded that we talked about the belt, the wineskins, and then the threat of captivity. So let's start with the linen belt. The linen belt from Jeremiah chapter 13, and we'll read 1 through 11, uh, has some pretty significant uh, symbolic features to it. So let's start reading in chapter verse uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 13. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist. Do not let it touch water. In other words, don't wash it. So I bought a belt, as the Lord directed, and put it around my waist. Now, I want you to notice something right here just at the start. It'll, it'll be consistent through the whole passage. God spoke, Jeremiah listened, and Jeremiah obeyed. What a concept. The linen belt, as the people of Judah would know, was what priests wore, and it symbolized the closeness of the people of Israel to God. And they would know that he puts that belt on, like, oh, we're reminded of our closeness to God, of how we were called to be close to him. So they would recognize that. Then, verse 3, then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt you bought and are wearing around your waist, and now go to Parath and hide it there in the crevice in the rocks. So, once again, right away... I went and hid it at Parath as the Lord told me. Many days later, the Lord said to me, go now to Parath and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Parath and dug up the belt and took it from the place where I had hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. Then the word of the Lord came to me. 
What, this is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them will be like this belt, completely useless. For a belt is bound around the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor, but they have not listened. They have not listened. As the linen belt deteriorated, so the closeness of the people of Israel to God has also deteriorated and were now deemed useless because of not listening to God. Quite an object lesson for them. They identified with that quickly, and you'd think, oh, now they get it. But they still don't. So it didn't just take the linen belt, but then he gives the illustration of wineskins. And I don't know, as you read scripture or if you see humor very often, I see it all the time. You slow down and read scripture and you kind of realize, wow, God kind of threw a little, a little jab in there. And I think it's so funny. So here it is in chapter 13, verse 12. Say to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Every wineskin should be filled with wine. Okay. Now, the kind of the callous sarcasm of the people of Judah comes out right away and he knows it. He goes, oh, and if they say to you, he's kind of like calling their bluff a little bit. I'm going to say the humor first so that they don't have a chance to say it. And if they say to you, uh, don't we know that every wine skid should be filled with wine? Wait, seriously, come on. But what they don't get is that God knew that they would be sarcastic and have kind of a tendency to go, duh, but the thing they didn't get was the wineskins represented themselves and the wine represented God's judgment. Pretty significant change of message. Then tell them, this is what the Lord says. And I love how that starts also. So many of these passages, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. He's not speaking on his own behalf. He's speaking on the behalf of God. You ever have brothers or sisters that argue about something? And then one of them goes, dad said, Pretty much ends the argument, usually. Dad said, coming under his authority, and all of a sudden it changes things. Same thing here. The Lord says, this is what the Lord says. I am going to fill with drunkenness all who live in this land, including the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all those living in Jerusalem. I will smash them one against the other, parents and children alike, declares the Lord. I will allow no pity or mercy or compassion to keep me from destroying them. Wow. The wine that was to fill the wineskins represented God's judgment. His judgment would fill the people. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? Why would God do such a thing? Well, remember, the people brought this on themselves because of their disobedience, their lack of listening to God, their lack of humility, their lack of worshiping God alone. They were going their own way and disregarding God's truth. A few years ago, uh, my wife was working at Northwestern College at the time in St. Paul, and she was the Blue Room Manager, which that was kind of our banquet facility. Everybody that came to the campus for a banquet always was in the Blue Room. And you can imagine why it was blue, curtains, the carpet, all, everything was blue. So affectionately called the Blue Room. And one of our coworkers came in one time, and, and Carrie and I just started dating, and so I was kind of trying to hang out back in the kitchen a little bit just to make sure everything's good. And... Uh, one of her coworkers came in 
And she goes, do you believe it? The squad cars on campus all have radar guns now. And I said, well, why do they, why do they have those? Well, because people are speeding through campus. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to drive as fast as I want, and if they have the guts to pull me over, oh, I'm going to give it to them. And I go, can I just ask a couple of questions? She goes, well, sure. I said, is there a speed limit? Yes. Is it posted? Yes. And you're going to go over that speed limit? Yes, if I want to. And you're going to be mad that the cops pull you over? Yes. Okay, I just want to make sure I have the story straight. Where is the logic in that? She knows the boundaries. She knows that if, there's, if she goes over that boundary, there's a consequence. Same thing is true with our Lord. He has set a high standard. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your heart on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy, which he's referring to the book of Leviticus. God has every right to punish us for the sin in our lives. And the people of Israel were continuing in their sin and ignoring Jeremiah's warnings. Jeremiah's warnings were so clear. And they still just went about and did their own thing and didn't listen to God. So B-dubs, don't be like the belt that ended up being useless because you're no longer close to God. Don't be like the wineskin. It's going to be filled with judgment. And then the threat of captivity. Jeremiah warned Judah about a threat of captivity. Take a look at 15 through 17. Hear and pay attention. Do not be arrogant, for the Lord has spoken Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings the darkness, before your feet stumble on the darkening hills. You hope for light, but he will turn it to utter darkness and change it to deep gloom. If you do not listen, I will weep in secret because of your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears, because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. This is where Jeremiah gets the nickname, if you've heard of it, the weeping prophet. He's begging the people of Judah to listen to the words of the Lord, or they might, in the words one of the commentators say, be carried into other countries in all the darkness of idolatry and wickedness. He's saying, please pay attention. I don't want you to be captive to evil. So what about you? This is the seventh week. The marketing rule of seven maybe applies. It's time for you and me to listen. Or maybe you're sitting here as a first-time visitor going, whew, I've got six more weeks till I have to figure this thing out because the rule of seven applies to me. The reality is it's a pretty simple message. And I think because you found your way inside and you know to sit on top of the pew, you're probably sharp enough to catch the clear message that Jeremiah is telling us. Worship God and God alone. Listen to God. Humble yourself and repent of your sins. Remember the B-dub's cap. B, the belt. Don't be like the linen belt and go far from God and then no longer be useful in his kingdom. Listen to the Lord so your wineskins don't have to be filled with God's judgment. Heed the threat of captivity to evil and turn to the Lord today. 
So what is God, through the example of Jeremiah and the people of Judah, saying to us today? I believe he's calling us to repent and renew our relationship with him. But how do we do it? How do we break the chain of sin? How do we break the chain of sin? This last Wednesday in the youth group, we were talking about that. The title of the night actually was Breaking the Chain of Sin. And so as a point of illustration, I brought up one of our students. He's a junior, and uh, he's a wrestler. He's a pretty fit kid because he's a wrestler. Now, he looks really nice and innocent, as most wrestlers do, okay? Don't, don't fall for it, okay? Because they're super nice. They look good. They look real innocent. And then you say something that they don't like, and they'll, they'll rip your face off. So just beware of those wrestlers. I've known a lot of wrestlers. They're so fun. They're awesome. But, but they, I do highly respect. I've been a basketball player my whole life, and I very much respect wrestlers. Let's just put it that way. But he, I brought him up because he was a good example of he's fit. So I said, hey, Henry, if you were to run from here to the wall, uh, you'd be able to do that pretty easily because he's fit, and he's, it's not that big of a deal because he's made to run that race effectively and without a lot of hindrance. And so he kind of said, yeah, I could, I could do that pretty easily. I said, that's awesome. So then I invited three kids up, three other boys. I said, why don't you three guys come on up here, and you're going to represent different things and different ways that we get distracted in our walk with the Lord. And I don't remember all of the things we had them represent, but I think one was like materialism, one was relationships, and then one was something else that, that distracts you from the Lord. And I said, I want one of you to jump on his back right now. So one of them got up on his back, and Henry's a good wrestler, so he didn't move. He's like, bring it on. And so the person hung on his back. I said, that's awesome. Now I want the other guy to grab an arm, and I want the other guy to grab an arm. I want you to hold him back. Hold him back. And now Henry, go run to the wall. It was a little more difficult because he had burdens on him. He had stuff pulling on him, pulling him a different direction, saying, no, 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 I don't want you to be successful in running to that wall. We need to break those things, and that's the impact that sin has on our lives. We don't experience the abundant life because we're weighing ourselves down, because we're distracted by things that aren't of the Lord. We're not humble. We're not listening to God. We're not worshiping God and God alone. The same message that Jeremiah was giving to the people of Judah. He's saying, come on, refocus your lives. So how do we do that? How do we break the chain of sin? Thanks for asking. We start with prayer. Because any meaningful change in our life, God has to do it. The Bible is not a self-help book that shows, here's how I can fix all of my problems if I just follow this formula. We need God to change our lives. So we begin with prayer. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. It's God who does the work in us. So if you're struggling with sin and you kind of feel like you're in bondage a little bit to something, you've got to ask God, God, would you please do a work in me? Would you please free me from this? Would you break that sin? Because then we can sing with conviction the second song we sang this morning. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My guess is there's a few of us in here going, that is, I can't sing that song right now. I feel like I'm in chains of some kind. I feel like a burden of sin is on me. And whatever it is, it's just weighing me down. We are dependent on God to change us. Ask him to do so. We can't do it on our own. So we started with the B-dubs cap, which is the warning. And now let's go with the next acrostic, which is break. Here's how we break the chain of sin. You start by boldly asking God to identify the temptations in your life. 
Boldly identify the temptation. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, check me, just find out what it is that I'm being distracted by. Because sometimes we don't know. People of Judah were saying, hey, let's try to make sure we really make God mad. Let's go against him. Let's go away from him. They didn't necessarily make a conscious decision to do so. They just made so many little choices along the way that all of a the sudden, they're now not even listening to God anymore. And Jeremiah's been there 25 years saying, hey, listen to God. And they're like, oh, what? I don't know. What's he talking about? I don't know. What else do you use wineskins for? Bah, And they just keep walking because that's just their normality. Don't let sin become so normal in your life that you don't recognize that it's sin. So boldly identify what's going on in your life. Then the R, realize you have a problem. Realize you have a problem. I love it in Romans 15 and 19. It says, I do not understand what I do. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but follow this, this passage a little bit. There's times I sure do. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Do you ever have that true in your life? I don't want to be sucked away by temptation. I don't want to give in to materialism. I don't want to have a bad attitude. I don't want to disrespect authority. But we find ourselves doing it. Realize that it's a problem. Identify the temptation. Realize you have a problem because you're not going to look for an answer until you know you have a problem. I can't swim. I've shared that with many of you many times. I can't swim. I've been in pools. I've been in other water. I've been all over the place. And I, get, I go down no matter where I am. I was even wearing a life vest once on a canoe trip with kids. And then they all go, hey, we're going to teach you how to swim, Pastor Kent. I said, cool, that'd be really fun. What a life skill. And I got in the water and they said, lean back. Do the dead man's float. I didn't like the name, first of all. So I said, okay. So I laid back, and these kids were on either side of me with their hands clasped underneath me, and I could see through the water a face going <laughs> as I went down. I do not have a problem figuring out that I'm in trouble when I'm in water. Sometimes, though, we want to just, oh, no, it's just, it's just this. It's not as bad as this person. It was just a little thing. I'll fix it later. Realize we have a sin problem. Realize it. Because you're not going to look for help until you realize, I need help. It takes me no time to look for help when I'm in a body of water because I realize the danger. And then once you realize you're in danger, don't just sit in that danger and wallow in it and say, oh, well, well I failed again. But eradicate the source of temptation. Eradicate that source of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Look, this is what God is doing again. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Every temptation that comes our way, God is faithful and he's going to provide you a way out. All you have to do is stop and go, where's the way out, God? Where is it? And you know that resisting temptation is often a very, very simple way out. 
You're looking at something you shouldn't look at on the computer. Turn it off. Spending too much time on your phone and neglecting responsibility or family. Turn it off. Put it on the charger. Leave it in the room and walk away. You're around a group of people and they're cutting somebody down and saying terrible things, maybe coarse joking, maybe whatever. Leave. Say, you know what, excuse me, I need to go for a little bit. I don't want to be part of this discussion. You simply walk away. Temptation is fairly easy to get rid of, fairly. Now, it's going to keep coming, but there's always going to be a way of escape. I was speaking to somebody last night who's kind of, uh, I suppose, a chain, if you will, of just kind of materialism and temptation to buy things. It's so easy now, isn't it? On the phone, buy, sure. And this particular individual has numerous emails that come every day. Talks about the sale, the sale. Oh, this is the big sale. This is the biggest sale. No sale ever bigger. And it just keeps recycling all different words like this is it. And we get sucked in. We go, ooh, bigger, bigger. Oh, I like those. So they hit uh, buy again and boom. And this person said, you know what they finally realized was that they're looking at it too often. And so they did this simple little task. Every one of those emails, and it took this individual quite a while because they got quite a few emails from a whole bunch of different retail people, but they would go in and say, okay, this person would go stroll down to the bottom and really tiny print, it says unsubscribe. God says, he, re- he kind of translates that to way out. <laughs> Here's my way out. So they hit unsubscribe on many of them. And now they're not exposing themselves to the daily bombardment of temptation to buy things. Eradicate the source of temptation. There are simple things you and I can do. God wants to give us victory over temptation, so he, I guarantee on his word that he's going to provide a way out, and it's not going to be terribly difficult for you to figure out what that way out is. But as we started with prayer from Philippians, God has to give us that desire to get out of it. Because just as easy as it is to hit unsubscribe, it's pretty easy to go back again, isn't it? Say, oh, I kind of miss all those and we start subscribing again. Eradicate the source of temptation, get away from it. And then remember that accountability helps. Accountability helps. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, two are better than one <clears throat> because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, the other one can laugh at him. But pity the, any, oh, sorry, I misread that. Uh, one can help the other one up. You know, we do that a little bit, don't we? We see somebody fall, they fall for temptation, it's like, oh, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe it. What is their deal? And we start to judge before we go and say, oh, how sad. Hey, do you know what you just did? Can I help you? Are you doing okay? Not in a judgmental way, but a loving way of just saying, boy, that didn't seem like the best decision. Are you okay? How are you distracted and made that kind of a decision? Can you want to talk about it? Help them up. Pity anyone who falls and no one is there to help them up. A little over two years ago, on a Wednesday night, it had snowed. Imagine that. And I, had, I was shoveling. I love to shovel. Weird, but I love to shovel. And so, and I love to have the church ready to go for anybody who's going to come. And so we were doing the Wednesday night meals at that time. So I shoveled back along whichever side over there of the, of the outside the kitchen entrance. And I was just walking back to put the shovel away and get ready for Wednesday night for the youth group. And there's a little incline by the garage door over there. And you don't really notice the incline until it's slippery. At least I didn't. So I was just walking back to take the shovel back. And next thing you know, I see my feet right here. And I'm like, I don't think that's where they're supposed to be. And as I fell, oh, I hit my hip just horribly. 
And I just, it took the breath out from me. And I was so scared, I scrambled to my feet right away. I don't know why, I thought that standing up would be better. So I just scrambled, I stood up and I was holding the shovel. And a bunch of people came to the meal that night. And as they drove in, I'm just standing there going, <laughs> I mean, I took the, it was unbelievable, the most pain I've ever had. And they're waving, hey, here for the meal, okay. And I was like, I don't know, I don't have anybody to help me. People are walking by, driving by, waving, hey, Pastor Kent. And so finally I got my phone out and I called Jordan because I knew Jordan, Pastor Jordan was in the building. I said, Jordan, I need help. I fell. I had so much pain. I can hardly breathe. I'm out by the garage door. He goes, I'll be right there. So he comes out and he starts running. <laughs> I go, slow down. And he's like, whoa, okay. And uh, he, he came out and he helped me in. And oh my goodness, to have a friend help me in, I needed that so bad. The same way as here. Accountability and friends help. So if you're struggling with something, tell somebody. At the end of the service, we're going to have prayer helpers up here. They want to pray with you. Come up and say, would you, I don't, maybe you don't want to expose what it is. That's fine. Just say, would you just pray that I'd be able to confide in somebody and get help? I welcomed any help that I could get that night. Accountability helps. And then finally, keep going one day at a time. Keep going one day at a time. The most, one of the greatest things about following Jesus is we only have to do it one day. One day. We can all do something, almost all of us can do something for one day. Remember I was speaking at a camp and uh, one of the staff came up to me after one of the evening sessions and he said, hey, can I talk to you about something? I said, well, of course you can. And he said, well, I have kind of a sexual habitual sin that I, that I just, I need to get victory in. I said, okay. And I said, you want to talk about it? So we talked for a little bit and he goes, do you have anything that could help me? I said, of course I do. I said, I, uh, I've got some notes, actually, that would help you a lot. But I said, I don't have them with me because I just brought tonight's notes with me to share with the kids. So um, I said, how about you come back tomorrow morning, and I'll share my notes with you. He goes, oh, you've got something to help? I said, I sure do. He goes, okay. So I said, but you've got to give me your word that you're not going to give into that temptation overnight. Promise me you're not going to give into that temptation overnight. And tomorrow morning when we meet, I want to know that you didn't give in. He goes, okay, I can do that. So the next morning, he came up. And he goes, you have those notes? And I said, oh, you know, I got distracted by a lot of kids last night after, this, after the session. And, and so I, I forgot the notes. They're back in my cabin. Um, but I need to know, did you give in to that temptation? And he looked at me and he goes, no, I didn't. I said, oh, that's awesome. I said, okay, so I, I'm sorry, but how about tonight when I come back to the evening session, I'll bring my notes with me again and, and then we'll, we'll talk and I'll give them to you. He goes, that sounds good. I said, but you got to give me your word. You're not going to give in to the temptation during the day. Don't give in during the day. I said, can you give me your word? He goes, I give you my word. I said, that's awesome. So it came to the evening session. It was the last evening session. The next morning we were wrapping up and uh, he came up to me after the session. He goes, you got those notes? And I go, oh, I'm so irresponsible. I'm sorry. I, uh, I don't have the notes actually. Um, I forgot them again, but I tell you what, did you give in to the temptation during the day? Did you give in? I said, you got to look me in the eye. And he looked at me and he goes, I did not. I said, that a boy. I said, that's awesome. I said, tomorrow morning I'm going to speak, and it's the last session, so I'm going to have all my notes with me because I'm just loading up and leaving after the session. So I'll have everything with me. I promise I'll have them. Uh, so you come to me tomorrow morning, I'll give you those notes. He goes, oh, that's great. I said, but you've got to promise to me that overnight you're not going to give in to the temptation. Can you promise me that? He goes, yeah, I'll promise. I said, seriously, this is a big deal. He goes, no, I, can pr I promise you. I said, okay. So the next morning, closing session, he comes up and, uh, and he goes, do you have those notes? And I said, did you give in to the temptation? And he said, no. 
I said, that's great. You have my notes. He goes, oh, what? You didn't, you didn't give me anything. I said, my notes are what the Bible says. And the Bible says, you just got to do it one day at a time, buddy. You've done it for two days already. One day at a time. That's all it is. You can do stuff for one day, can't you? Yes. I said, that's all God tells us. So to break the chain of sin, you simply one day at a time identify where your sin is, acknowledge it, realize you need help, find the way out, find somebody to hold you accountable, and pray often to say, God, free me from that. And just like the people that Jeremiah was talking to, Jeremiah would say, do it today. I've been here for 25 years. Get a clue. Figure this out. I'm trying to help you. So my challenge to you also is from Hebrews 12.1, and that's start today. Start today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. As Henry got rid of those three things hanging on him, he was able to run, again, the race that God designed for him to run. Jesus said he came to give us life more abundant. And when we load up all this junk in our lives, it's hard to experience the abundant life because we're burdened with stuff that we were never intended to be burdened with. So as the worship team comes up, what's hindering you today? It could be something good because he says throw off everything that hinders. He didn't say sin there. He just said everything that hinders. A lot of good things don't become good things because we put a wrong priority on them. And maybe it's hindering your walk with the Lord. It also says that there's sin that so easily entangles. And what is it for you? Maybe it's pride, dishonesty, selfishness, materialism, judgmental spirit, critical spirit, sexual immorality, impure thoughts. God will reveal whatever it is because he wants you to be free of it. He wants you to listen. During our closing song, there will be people up here that can pray with you. Take advantage of that today. Say, I just need prayer about something. I want to be free of this. I want this out of my life. You don't have to say what it is. Just say, please, just pray for me. Because in a minute, we're going to sing, I will build my life upon your love. It's a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you and you alone. And if you find yourself saying, God, I, don't, I, I, I want to believe that, and I'm trying to believe it, but I need help getting there, come on up and pray with somebody this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, you're so good. It's so easy to point at people of Judah and just say, what in the world? Get the clue. Listen to God, would you? And yet there's a reason you allowed that to be part of the word that we study today. There's a tendency for us to do the same thing, to be prideful, to do our own thing, and to not fully commit to worshiping you and you alone. So help us today, Lord, as you identify things in our life that we need to be made free of. Give us the desire to deal with them today and to pray with one another, be able to run that race that's marked out for us. Thank you for the deliverance you offer. And our chains can be gone. We can be free. What a great, great promise. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.